to our passage tonight, those were in our second study now in the book of Revelation. Lord willing, we'll finish out the chapter tonight. And like we did last week, I'm also going to give a little bit of a prophecy update, talk about some things going on in the world right now, some things that some of you guys are familiar with. Others, these will be maybe new things. And uh, um, we'll probably do that kind of partway into the first verse here. And hopefully it will be fluid with the study tonight and so forth. So, um, you know, we'll just pray for God's grace and mercy on that. So I don't, I, I, people say, oh, I love those rants. I think they're spirit led. And, uh, but boy, you can move from being led by the spirit to getting the flesh really quick. So we want to pray for God's anointing in those things and so forth. So again, Revelation 1, let's just read it together. Verse 9 through 20. Uh, again, there's so much here just about the person of Jesus Christ, and then we'll jump through and just set it up a bit, uh, take it verse by verse, but this is glorious. I mean, these passages are just glorious to read through, and um, Lord, give us ears to hear. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion, <clears throat> the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, uh, spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a white garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as, it refined, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is awesome here. But he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's just be dismissed right now. I mean, that's just, now we'll, we'll talk about this, but that's, man, that's just powerful. Again, the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. We get, uh, you know, a revelation here or insight to the end of the age to the Lord coming for His church, the literal second coming. Uh, so many details of, again, that uh, Daniel's 70th week that we looked at in great detail in the book of Daniel. But listen, with that as well, this book is just loaded with so much revelation of the Lord Jesus, of who our God is. I mean, just in this, we read so much about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that that, that is even... The, the more greater thing of the book of Revelation. It saddens me when I hear people say, well, I'll never read that book. And I've heard many a pastor say, well, we would never teach that book. You can't even understand it. Well, you can. 
In fact, this chapter we're looking at tonight, uh, verse 19 specifically, gives you an outline of the book. It's right here in verse 19. But even if folks are in a place where with their eschatology, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're working through that and they're kind of overwhelmed, how sad if you don't just take the book to learn more about who Jesus is. Because again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And tonight, as we just read, we'll look in detail and learn more about who our Lord is. Because the scripture tells us in Second Peter that we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. That sounds like an awesome promise, doesn't it? All things pertaining to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And through the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be through knowing Him personally and praise God through the work of the cross by His grace through faith in Him. We can know Him personally. But that also includes knowing more of who He is. And it's sad when there's believers that don't open up the Word of God because they're missing out on learning of who the Lord is. You learn more about Him and you get to know Him through getting into the word of truth. And in the book of Revelation, man, you can get to know Jesus Christ a whole lot more when you dig in and you study and you read and you hide these truths in your heart. It's just glorious. And it goes back to what we saw last week where we read, blessed are those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. And we want to be such a people. So let's read verse 9 again. And we'll just start breaking this down. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion, and the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I love how John starts this. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion. Again, this was John, one of the 12 disciples, an apostle of Jesus Christ. As we've been going through Acts on Sunday morning, we see that, you know, what John and Peter right out of the gate were the main spokesmen for the church, uh, the two apostles that the Lord uh, more so used, at least publicly, right out of the gate. We talked about him last week and saw that early on he was called one of the sons of thunder, him and his brother James. They had a, a temper issue, you know, you know, with a temper issue, and they came to the Lord, and after that he became what we call the disciple of love, and that his gospel and his epistles teach us so much about the love of jesus christ the great love our god has for us and we also saw that he was a man transformed the more that he learned about the love of god the more he became a lover of god and the more he became a lover of others and we know the two commandments that god has told us that all of the, the other ten hang on is to love the lord your god with your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and to grow in that. And as believers, we all should desire to grow in those things. Listen, we can't muster that up on our own. That comes through getting to know the Lord. Because in First John, we are told that we love Him. We can say we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. And so the more we learn of His love for us, the more we'll be, there will be a, a supernatural overflow of love for God and for others in that order. And I'll tell you, if you don't have a love for God, you're going to fall short in loving others. It always starts with loving the Lord first, and then an overflow comes out of that of loving others. And so this is John. Again, the Lord's using him to write this revelation. Uh, the Lord used him to write the book of John, three epistles, and so forth. I mean, this is a mighty man of God, and yet, listen, he presents himself and sees himself 
as a fellow brother in the Lord. Again, and positionally, he was just another brother saved by God's grace, but practically, he was so much more than that, yet he knew he was what he was only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in him right off the bat, he was a man who was humble. And again, this was reflective of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know what? Humility is something that God wants us to be found walking in. It's amazing how much the issue of humility and then the opposite of it, pride, come up in the scriptures. And I'll tell you a great truth about humility. We choose to put it on or not. Do you realize that? We make the choice whether we want to walk in humility or not. God blesses us when we walk with a humble heart, and yet He resists us when we walk with a pride and an arrogance. And I don't want to be found in a place where God is resisting me. Notice First Peter 5, 5, so you know these aren't just my thoughts on these things. It says, be clothed with humility. You chose this morning to put on the clothes that you are wearing. You chose to get up. You chose to put them on. So when this is be clothed with humility, this is indicating to us that we have a choice in this, whether we want to put on a cloak of humility or a cloak of pride. It says, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then notice, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And I'll tell you, I know it's just truthful that all of us at times walk with pride. Our, Our flesh in its nature, it's prideful. And so humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is a people that are walking in truce. You know, as we saw recently, we, we, we referred this recently, I think it was on Sunday morning, uh, uh, when, remember Paul came into that light on the road to Damascus, and we talked about the light of Christ. And we see there in John 3 that Jesus, again, is that light of the world. And it talks about most men running from that because they love darkness. And yet those, again, that are followers of Christ, they come into the light. And part of coming to the light is being real with God. It, it's, it's taking those areas where we have knowledge of our pride and our arrogance and so forth, and we're truthful with God. And we say, Lord, I'm prideful in this area. I got a chip on my shoulder or whatever it is, and I don't want to hide that from you. I want to bring that before you. I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to help me. And Lord, I pray that I can get your word hidden in my heart and you'd fill me with your spirit that I could put on a cloak of humility and begin to be transformed by the renewing of my mind to be more reflective of the Lord. And I'll tell you, there is great blessing found in that. But if we exalt ourselves, we want to resist that. We don't want to be truthful with who we are. You know, when Jesus said, you'll know the truth and it will set you free, that's talking about the truth of God's word. But that also deals with, with you being truthful with the Lord. And it is true that he gives great grace to the humble. And John is a great picture of a man who walked with great pride. Remember at one point him and James wanted to be the Lord's bodyguards. As if the Lord needed bodyguards. Uh, At one point they wanted to call fire down on Samaritans. Who in their ignorance they they didn't understand who Jesus was. Later on God would do a great revival amongst those Samaritans. Can you imagine if... You know what, they would have got their way and would have zapped all of them and so forth. And, and, and yet, again, 
as he grew in the Lord, he humbled his heart, and we see a transformation in him. And it's pretty awesome here. I, John, both your brother and your companion. Let me tell you another thing about humility, and this will be revealed here in a minute. Humility is a necessity to be able to really hear from God and to be found walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we were going to see him and we read he's on this island and he hears a loud voice and the voice he hears is the Lord. And this tells us again in his humility, he had an ear to hear the Lord's voice and it wasn't a muttering. It wasn't, oh, was that his voice or not? He could hear it loud because pride is something that gums up our ears and absolutely it puts a blanket over our ability to discern the voice of the Lord and absolutely it grieves the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what the great thing about this? The, the, the call to walk in humility, it's really a call of just being, again, truthful with God and broken before the Lord and being willing to admit the wretches that we are and saying, Lord, I need you. So temper this, God. Give me an eternal perspective. You know, it's a picture again of the tax collector saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. God bless that. God blesses when we walk in truth. But when we want to hide that, we, we, we don't want to be real with it. Uh, again, it's a hindrance. It doesn't help us at all. And so right off the bat, we see a, a great humility in John. He says, I, John, both your brother, again, and companion in the tribulation. And these churches that he's writing to there in Asia Minor, they were, a, they were churches that were under great persecution. Uh, we'll come in a few weeks, Lord willing, to the church of Smyrna. And we see that they were a people that were being brutally persecuted. And it talks about more persecution that was going to come upon them. The church of Ephesus is listed there. And recently in Acts, we saw some of the things going on in Ephesus, that there was persecution from the Jew and the Gentiles upon the church. And Paul says, I'm your companion in tribulation. And again, 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, and I believe you're here tonight because you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, amen? It says, we'll suffer persecution. But I'll tell you, as John's saying, I'm your brother, or your, your brother and companion in tribulation, praise God, look around tonight, we are brothers and sisters in the tribulations in the world, and there are brothers and sisters around the world going through tribulations and persecutions. And God wants us to remember they are our brothers and sisters. And so when we hear of reports of great tribulations and persecutions happening to our brothers and sisters, let's not just shrug that off. And I know we've been conditioned to shrug off things reported in the news and so forth. We've been hardened through information overload. But I would pray that we could get tender in our heart and have a heart that would want to pray for our brothers and sisters when they are going through tribulations because they're our companions and again listen there's nothing greater than being in the family of God and being knit together through the shed blood of Jesus Christ he says here as well again your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ and what he here what he's referring to here is patiently waiting through all the trials and tribulations for the coming of the lord for his kingdom to come and i'll tell you there's nothing like trials and tribulations to get you to yearn for his kingdom to come you know what i'm talking about i mean in this past year have you not 
more than any year past, say, man, I'm just ready for Jesus to come today. I'm just ready for you to come. You know, we're ready to go, Lord. And in, in, there's been trials and tribulations. A lot of folks have gone through a lot more. Other regions have gone through a lot more and so forth. But this has been a shakeup in many ways. But the Lord is calling us to be patient. See, he is coming. And he's called us to be patient. And I'll tell you as well, he's also called us to be joyful while we're patiently waiting, even in the midst of tribulations and trials. Notice James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you guys is that your favorite verse tonight? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And there's a lot of various trials, isn't there? Sometimes we go through trials. I didn't even know this, this kind of trial existed. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but let your patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So even in trials and tribulations and patiently waiting for the Lord, saying, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to continue on. I'm not going to race ahead of the Lord. I'm not going to go sit on the sidelines. I'm going to continue plugging away. He says to do it joyfully and know that it's going to produce fruit in your life. A lot of times in tribulations, we almost feel like everything stopped or things are going backwards. And oftentimes those are the times when God grows us the most, when God abounds us the most. And it's sad when we listen to the lie of the enemy. And again, we tap out in the midst of those things or just get bitter or whatever versus letting God do a as it says here a perfect work in our heart as we joyfully you know it forge forward in tribulation and maybe tonight you're going through some trials and tribulations you feel downtrodden listen get your eyes on the Lord rejoice in the finished work of the cross and know that God is working in your life in the midst of all those things it's a great biblical truth that the enemy wants to hide from us but we need to walk in the truth that we could abound in the Lord Jesus Christ now listen with that said we're called to joyfully and patiently wait for the coming of the Lord but make no mistake the Lord is coming soon he absolutely is and we know again from our study this summer in Matthew 24 that the Lord told us specifically when we see certain things unfolding at a rapid rate like birth pains coming more frequently and with more intensity to look up to know our redemption draws nigh to know we're on the cusp of the coming of the Lord we know one of the greatest signs of that is the regathering of Israel as a nation. And really that's a game changer when it comes to prophecy, when it comes to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really what sets this generation apart from even all the previous ones. And I think a lot of people don't understand the weightiness of Israel re being regathered as a nation. Because in the tribulation, again... We know all Israel will be saved, and for that to happen, she had to be regathered. And so many prophecies have been fulfilled concerning the nation of Israel. And again, it's a commentary on God's great love and God's great grace and God's, you know, it, uh, 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 keeping up of, 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 I don't know if this is properly even said, of, of, of his end of a covenant or a deal. That Israel, even in being faithless, sees God being faithful to her. And again, what assurance for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of there in Timothy where it says, when we're faithless, he's faithful. Aren't you, God, aren't you glad you serve such a God tonight? 
Now again, so many things listed there. And, and we went through detail of those things that he talked about. I, I just want to talk about a few things just in this past week that kind of caught my eye that seemed to fall into this, you know what, timetable of these birth pains and how quickly that they are unfolding. And as we talk about these things, as I said last week, this isn't to stir fear in our hearts. We're not called to be a people to walk in fear, but a people to walk by faith, but instead to stir us to be a people of prayer, to be a people that are looking up, to be a people found about his business. We know that the Lord said that there would be wars and rumors of wars. Now, again, we know there's been wars and rumors of wars since the fall of man. But again, we read of a great increasing of these things and then unfolding more rapidly leading up to the coming of the Lord. And we know in the verbiage there, the Lord speaks of nation versus nation, but also ethnicity versus ethnicity. And I think we're living in a time unlike any other when it comes to both of those things. Just a couple things that caught my eye this week in regards to this. Um, this is a headline. Strategic command warns Biden administration they must prepare for nuclear war and conflicts that could escalate rapidly. It says here, it came ahead of the agency speaking to the Congress on Tuesday morning where they were warned the U.S. is currently facing two nuclear-capable strategic peer adversaries at the same time from Russia and China. And right now, the buildup of troops on the border of Russia and Ukraine is unprecedented. They say Russia has about 150,000 troops. I think the, U- the Ukraine and the United Nations, it's, it's, it's in the tens of thousands as well. This thing is really, really heating up. We see the issue going on with China and Taiwan and so forth. There's several places where these things are spiking. And listen, there, there, there's, real, there's real things going on in these areas. And whether you know it or not, uh, all of these uh, pro-life evangelicals for Biden that voted them in, I don't think they realize they voted in a warmonger. I mean, if you got the mindset the Obama administration was peaceful, that was a warmongering uh, eight years. Uh, the first day Biden was in the office, you know what he did? He started dropping bombs on Syria. I mean, just ramping it up. These guys make millions of dollars off the weapon industries and so forth. It is deep and it is wicked. We really need to be praying for our nation. I know it's easy to read these things and say, well, we're over here. We're okay. You know, that's over there and so forth. But these things and these kind of things can hit home very, very quickly. So again, we're not looking at this to stir up fear, but to be wise. Last week as well talked about the attack that Israel did on Iran to set back their nuclear program. They say at least nine months. And you got to know something about Iran. They call they call Israel the little Satan. You know what they call America? Big Satan. They, 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 these are public speeches. You know, this stuff's even shared at the United Nations and so forth. This isn't like hidden. This isn't like, you know what, we, we cracked the code. We know what they're saying. They're very forthright with this. And we know that, again, uh, Israel did a, an attack on their nuclear capabilities, and it set them back nine months. What's interesting Uh, This headline says the U.S. has issued a rare warning to its closest Middle East ally, Israel, over its escalating actions against Iran. And basically they said, we're not happy with what you did to Iran. 
And we also don't like the fact that you're boasting about it because they've been boasting about it. Like, eh, neener, neener, neener. We just set you back nine months. We're three steps ahead of you. And by the way, that's prophetic as well because it says in the last days, Israel would be like fire and our enemies would be like wood and stubble. Now, again, we know the second half of the tribulation, the, ter- the, ter- the, the tables are turned and they're out of their affliction. They come to Christ. But listen, th- th- this is something that, again, should stir us to be praying for our country tonight. I mean, to go and, and again, the, the, the deal that Obama had with Iran and, and all that that was put on the shelf uh, in the previous administration, that's all coming back. So just a few things there that I believe, you know, at the minimum, there are rumors of wars and then the issues over in the Middle East. Again, Bible prophecy, it says in the last days that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling. And indeed it is. That's Bible prophecy being fulfilled. A couple other things on lawlessness. I love waxing cold. Again, another headline. Biden administration ends limits of use of fetal tissue research. This is as satanic and as wicked as anything that you are going to find. And once again, the pro-life evangelicals for Joe Biden, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You should absolutely be ashamed of yourselves. These guys, again, whatever you think about Trump, the guy did a lot of pro-life stuff. And he's got issues, but he did a lot of pro-life things. This is a gross, wicked move against God Almighty. Along with this, here's another, this is is a, uh, um, a report by Judicial Watch, um, Headline, federal government caught buying fresh flesh of aborted babies who could have survived as preemies. This is from the Federalists, April 15, 2021. If you want to read the entire article, I'll just read a little bit. Last week, legal accountability group Judicial Wash dropped a bombshell, bombshell, a nearly 600-page report proving the U.S. government has been buying and trafficking fresh aborted aborted baby body parts. These body parts purchased by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to humanize mice and test biological drugs and scientific experiments came from babies up to 24 weeks old uh, gestation uh, just weeks before being born. And it goes on from there. And their justification is, well, we need to do this to, you know, overcome AIDS and cancer, and they even say COVID-19. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And really, I mean, the, the amount of human trafficking is just out of control. And go read in the scriptures where it talks about economic Babylon following, and we'll get to it eventually in Revelation. It talks about everything they trade, and they buy, and they sell, and it, they list it from the most important to the bottom. And you know what the last two things are? the bodies and souls of men as the least important. This, this world is, is, is so much more wicked than we really grasp or understand. It, it, it just is out of control. And then in the area just of deception, and, and look at, I've been harping about this for, for the last year, but... You know, people talk about science, and man, I hate those signs. Science is science. You know, those little signs they put on us. Like, 
None of this has been science. Now there's science that was already known as science that is coming out that can't be denied because a year of a pandemic has exposed so many lies. And yet there's so many people, they still bury their head in the sand. And it's like, what's gonna, what's it going to make take to wake people up? Because look at this whole COVID-19 thing and, and all of this. You got to understand that this is being put forth to usher in a new world. Do do we get that? Do we understand that? Again, they call it themselves the Great Reset. Eight billion people have been been bamboozled upon this earth. And the Lord said concerning the last days that deception would run rampant. In fact, in Matthew 24, he lists deception more than anything as a sign of his soon coming. Not just talking about deception in the church with false Christ and false teachers. And they run amok but also deception in the world. I remember when I first heard that they were going to do a mask mandate. And listen, in reading this and talking about this, I don't want to shame anybody who's wore a mask or wears a mask. I've gone to my kids' softball and basketball games. The only way I'm going there is I've got to put a mask on. Now I stick my nose out. After the first inning, it's under my chin. And then it's usually in my pocket. I've, shot, I've shopped at Costco a few times. Listen, again, I say pop your beak. I pull out my nose. I go in, do my thing, whatever. Like, it's just, you know what, it's their store. I want to go and buy, you know what, a, a case of ketchup. You know what, whatever. But listen, when this first started, I remember when they first issued that, my heart sunk. And, and I know it wasn't just me being resistant, because I can be a resistant individual, whether you know that or not. But I just had a a sense of this is vile and evil and it is so wicked because when this even first started, all those boxes of masks back then, you know what it said on the side of those boxes? It can't stop the coronavirus. And we had our, you know, what great, wonderful, you know, a national doctor of doctors, Fauci, tell us, don't wear a mask. It won't do any good. And he was telling the truth then. He absolutely was. And then when they said everyone's got to wear one, that night he was at a national, uh, a Washington Nationals baseball game. And guess what? Dude wasn't wearing a mask. Like, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, that's called a liar. That's called someone hoodwinking you. Because if he really believed that, that dude would be masked up away from everybody. It's the same thing with these governors and all these people. The one from Michigan, they just brought out she was vacationing in Florida when she told everyone to stay home. When are people going to wake up? And listen, don't fall in a place where, well, it's a year, we're coming out of this. So, you know, you know what? No, these are things that we need to walk in truth concerning. So listen, has anyone ever heard of the University of Stanford? We've heard of them, right? Because you bring this stuff up, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, such and such and that none of that's real or that's a conspiracy or you know when there was a bunch of doctors and the one gal from uh, nigeria african doctor and so forth you know everyone's shaming her oh what does she know she's a woman from africa you know doesn't this go against so many things that are being addressed as far as shaming people and so forth but oh what does she know because she spoke truth there's people from this church that the lord used that woman to save their lives you know that that very woman that was shamed 
a couple that had moved from Texas, and this guy was healthy. He got the, the COVID and whatnot, and she prescribed hydroxychloroquine and other things that saved his life. The Lord's been using her to save lives because she's actually dealing in truce. But anyway, study, I'm, I'm ranting right now. Stanford study results, face masks are ineffective to block transmission of COVID-19 and actually can cause health deterioration and are you ready for this premature death? The CDC just put out a similar report yesterday. This is based on real science. Again, it shows that these things can't stop uh, SARS-CoV-19. And they say these should not be being used. And then it goes on to list some of the things that this does, not only physically, but mentally as well. This is the list here. I just highlighted some of it. You can go in and, and you can get this. This was on Gateway Pundit, April 19th. And some of the things this includes is shortness of breath, toxicity, inflammation, self-contamination, chronic stress syndrome, fear, mood disturbances, insomnia, fatigue, viral infection, headaches, anxiety, depression, cancer, diabetes, all, uh, uh, all, uh, Alzheimer's, um, accelerated aging process, that's why everyone looks so old right now, health <laughs> deterioration, and premature mortality. Uh, this is the University of Stanford, and here's the thing, not one major u- news we- network picked this up. None of them. And in fact, the people that put this out on Twitter and Facebook, they were immediately kicked off for it. Listen, th- th- there's great deception in the world. The world has been bamboozled. It has been hoodwinked by all of this. A couple other things here. I've been talking about this all year long, that, that the issue with sicknesses and so forth of this nature, it almost always goes back to a vitamin D deficiency. This is an article from LifeSite News. It has to do with that doctor out of Idaho that has dealt with thousands of people in this, Dr. Ryan Cole. And he breaks down the fact that it's a vitamin D deficiency that is the issue here. And I guarantee you these individuals have known this, and yet not one time have they put this out there to the people. There are some third world nations that have taken care of their people. Do you know that? They, they've given people blister packs with these simple medicines and these vitamins because they're not corrupted by big pharma like this nation is. And it is satanic and wicked to the core. These people don't care about lives. Hear this tonight. The bulk of the politicians on the right and the left, they don't care about you. They don't care about your life. It's proven in their actions. It's proved, it proven in their methodologies. Are they coming for me? Where are they at? Are, are they coming? Are they coming? <laughs> Anyhow, I don't have time to read all this, but basically it's broken down that 96% of people in the ICU are vitamin D deficient. 96%. And it breaks down the stuff we've been talking about. Again, uh, 83% of African Americans, 70% of Latinos, 72% of Native Americans, 47% of Caucasians are vitamin D deficient. The darker your skin, the further north you live, the harder it is to synthesize vitamin D. You can get a year's supply of vitamin D for 15 bucks. 15 bucks. And yet there's been no talk of this. This is a deception. 
Got one more for you. One more for you. Laboratories in U.S. cannot find COVID-19 in one of 1,500 positive tests. A clinical scientist in Southern California laboratory says he and his colleagues from seven universities, which include Stanford and Cornell and others, are suing CDC for massive fraud. The reason not one of 1,500 samples of people tested positive for could find COVID-19, all people simply found to have influenza A, or to a lesser extent, inf- influenza B. We finally know where the flu went. <laughs> and it goes on from here. It goes on from there. And then the last thing, in, 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 uh, that's from a website called The Great Reject. And it, again, it, it, it's all, look, at, this stuff's all out there. You're not going to hear it on the CNN you're not going to hear it on the MSNBCs. You're not going to hear it on the Fox News. You just, you just aren't. Oh, I'm a Fox man. You're, you're delusional, man. Rupert Mur- Murdoch, I don't know if he still owns it, but owned it. He's the leading pornographer in the world, just so you know that. Pornography is one of the most devastating things to this world. He's the leading pornographer in the world. You ever see the shows on Fox Network? It's pure filth. It's satanic to the core. The last thing's on a digital vaccine passport that they're trying to launch in California that they're starting in Orange County. And who knows what these people... And listen, I could go on this stuff all night long. The point, I'm trying to make a point in it though. Jesus said, do not be deceived. There's great deception in this world. And what has been brought upon this world in the last year has been unlike any deception of this nature in the history of the world. And so if you read Matthew 1 through 14 and you say things are as they always have been and that stuff, when we get into the tribulation, that will unfold, you're delusional. This stuff is happening at a rapid rate. Shared a few weeks ago how, you know, a year ago we said, man, our world's really changed since the last five years, and indeed it has. It's a different world than it was a year ago. This has happened rapidly. It is happening rapidly, and it should be something that, again, does not provoke fear in our heart but absolutely gets us looking up to move by faith to be about the business of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to our passage here. Again, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So we patiently and joyfully wait for the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, we know he's coming soon. And the indicators are all around us was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Listen, they tried to kill John, and they couldn't. If you ever can read Fox's Book of Martyrs, we have it in the bookstore. I can't recommend it enough. It's it's a history of the early church, even up through uh, like the 1500s, 1600s, of persecution of the church and folks martyred for the gospel of Christ. And in the record of John, it speaks of them trying to boil him in oil and all this stuff. They couldn't kill the guy. He was invincible like a Terminator or something. They finally said, let's just put him out on this island so he can't talk to anyone else about the word of God and his testimony of Jesus Christ. And he had a revelation of Jesus Christ out there. 
What a glorious thing. He was banished to the island because of his witness. And he didn't back down in it. And people say, well, you know, why would that be the case? It's the gospel. It's good news. Because the gospel is an offense to those who are perishing. And I'll tell you, they lash out. Because of the conviction that comes from the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, from his church walking in truth, and through even creation bearing witness that there is a God who made everyone, and they're going to give an account to Almighty God. So it put John on this island, but again, he had a revelation given to him from Christ, which we have before us tonight. Notice verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So he's in the Spirit, he's in a place of real fellowship, worship, submission to God, as opposed to being in the flesh. Romans 8, 5 through 8 speaks of this. It says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And it talks about it being carnally minded. It, it, it can't be at peace with God. There's no peace there. But as we walk in the Spirit, there's a peace found there. And again, this goes back as kind of like humility. What do I want to walk in? Do I want to have my mind set on the things of the Lord? Do I want to live according to the Spirit of God? Or do I want to just do as I will? He's in a place where he's in the Spirit. He's in a place where he's walking in communion with the Lord. Again, on the Lord's day. Well, some would say, what day that it is, is that? Well, listen, you're ready for this? They're all the Lord's. They're all the Lord's day. Well, you know, they're on Wednesday night. It's not the Lord's day. Will they be there Sunday? No, this is the Lord's day. This is the day the Lord has made. Now, some could argue in New Testament context that it would be a Sunday. That's the first day of the week when the Lord rose. But I know this, all of them are the Lord's day. And then he says, I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. We see this voice as the voice of the Lord. And John's able to hear it like a trumpet. And so he, he has an ear for the voice of God. Again, let's review what's given him that. He's a man walking in humility. And he's a man walking in the spirit. You want to hear from the Lord? Put on a cloak of humility. Walk in the spirit. Open up the word of God because God's word contains God's voice. Get God's general will before you. And from there, there will be times when God will, 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 will share specifics with you. But if you want to walk in pride, you want to walk in the flesh, good luck with that. Also, I love this. He says, I heard behind me a loud voice. And praise God, the Lord goes before us. And also, the Lord is behind us. He has our back. Let's remember that. He's with us to the end of the age. Verse 11 what does this voice say? It says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. This is a, de a declaration of deity. Again, the Alpha, the Omega, the Omega there in the Greek, it's only lists the first letter of Omega. It's the picture of Jesus is, uh, was, and has always been. As in Hebrews, it says Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love, again, Romans 1.8. Where he said, or excuse me, Revelation 1 8, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and then says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. And then notice here, tacked on, the Almighty. The Almighty God. And I love it. The first and the last. Listen, he has no beginning, he has no end, he's always been. But I'll tell you, he's the beginning. Uh, he, he's, he's there at the beginning, 
and the ending of everything because he's God Almighty. And so what's he say? Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And we read those earlier. We'll look at those in great detail, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. But notice what he says. Write what you see and send it. Again, these would be those actual churches. We'll see these also seem to represent periods of time in church history. And there's also, again, attributes in these churches that uh, every local church can identify with. Uh, whether the good or the bad, whatever it is. But notice what he says to write this down. He doesn't say just take this all in and then take that and your experiences and just pass it down verbally. Could you imagine what it would sound like today? You ever been in one of those experiments or whatever where there's like 10 people in a circle and you, you share something and then they got to share it with the next person and whisper it in the air. By the time it all the way comes back around, it's a completely different thing. It's hilarious. Write it down. And praise God, we have his written word preserved for us, unchanging for us here today. First Peter 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And praise God for his preserved word that it's written, that absolutely it's, it's uh, you know, it, eternal. Praise God, we stand on the promises. And it's a sad thing when people step back and they'll say, well, you know, that's just an ancient book, a bunch of ancient letters. We know better today. You know, this is God's word. And it's for every single generation. And this truth has been preserved for us for this day that we are living. In verse 12, then I turned to see the voice uh, that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So his natural response to this loud voice, he turns and he sees. I mean, you, you hear a voice like a trumpet, you're going to look. And he sees these seven golden lampstands. We'll see in verse 20 that they signify or they're symbolic because remember we saw in verse 1, he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant john and that word signified is the same word for symbols so he sees these seven golden lampstands that are symbolic for these seven churches uh in asia minor as well as it seems seven periods of time in church history but listen what's awesome about this he sees these seven golden lampstands that again represent the church and who's he see in the midst of them one like the son of man Really, that phrase in the Greek, it's really the phrase for, you ready for this? The man. <laughs> he sees the man there. And we know that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Son of Man was Jesus' favorite name for himself? He referred to himself as the Son of Man more than anything else. And you know, think about when man fell, that promise was given through the seed of woman, the Savior would come, that the enemy would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head. I love Luke 12, 8, it says, whoever, Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God Almighty. So he sees Jesus here in the midst of the church. And this is good news for us tonight. Because in this crazy world and everything going on in it and so forth, and listen, we're barely even scratching the surface of all the nonsense out there. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for were two or three gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And Jesus is in the midst of us tonight. He's in the midst of his church. And you know what's even more encouraging about this? 
We're going to read these seven letters, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. The most of these churches were a complete mess. <laughs> and yet the Lord loved them, and he was in the midst of them. And there's times when our life is a complete mess, is it not? And yet the Lord is faithful to us, and he's with us to the end of the age. What a glorious Lord we serve. And then it says he was clothed. He was clothed in a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now again, we, we read there again earlier in Revelation 1. He sent and signified. It, it's telling us there's things that are symbolic in the book of Revelation. Again, there's things later on that John describes, and he'll say, it was like this. There's things he can't really put in words, so he'll, 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 see, he'll give us kind of a symbolism of, of what he's seeing and so forth. And so with this appearance, it could be symbolic. It could be an actual description of Christ's appearance in glory. We know in John 20, 20, after the Lord rose from the grave, it says he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And it seems that his resurrected appearance was that like, you know, a, a, a man, you know, before he went to the cross, but in a glorified body. So we'll just look at it as, you know, the description of here and just consider our Lord in it. A garment down to his feet. Revelation nineteen fourteen says, And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And I love Isaiah sixty one ten. It says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The Lord, again, this garment's a robe of righteousness that he is wearing. He, he, he is righteous. He's without sin. He is just. He is holy. And glorious when we come to Christ positionally, he clothes us with a cloak of righteousness. And I'll tell you, if you don't got that on and you get into that wedding feast somehow, you're going to get booted out. Jesus gives a whole, you know what, a whole account of that. Praise God for the righteousness found, that robe of righteousness that we receive when we confess our sin and put faith in Jesus. Do you have that robe of righteousness tonight? Listen, if you don't, you need to get clothed. And then it says that, that, uh, girded about the chest with a golden band and this should remind us of the high priest and jesus is our high priest exodus twenty-eight twenty-nine. it says so aaron shall bear the names of the sons of israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart and when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the lord continually and here's the lord girded about his chest a golden band and if we look at this to learn of it we look again at the high priest and as he carried the names in on his chest, it shows that they were near to his heart. And he was going in there to make intercession for them. And I tell you, in Christ Jesus tonight, you are near to his heart. And he continually makes intercession for you. Even right now he is. And that's such a glorious thing. Pray for me, Lord, while I'm teaching this Bible study. Intercede for me. Verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as it is refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. So again, his head was white like wool and white like snow. Daniel gives a similar description in Daniel 7. I think of Proverbs 16.31, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory, 
It is found in the way of righteousness. And so as we understand the Bible by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we see this head that is white as snow. It's the crown of glory that shows the wisdom of our Lord. You know, it's sad that we're living in a culture, this one in particular, that so looks down and it's just getting more and more where they're, they're, there's a looking down upon, you know, the elderly and even the appearance of the elderly. And the Bible describes that as glorious. It describes that as, again, it should be a mark of wisdom. It should be a mark of an individual who should be respected and so forth. And here's the Lord. Listen, he, 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 does, he has no, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, what, what do they call that stuff the guys use to comb in their beard or whatever to make it, you know, just for men. He, he ain't sporting any just for men up there. It's like a glorious, again, white as snow. A crown of glory of the wisdom of our God. And if you use just for men, then you know, use it unto the Lord. Freedom unto Christ, right? And then his eyes are like a flame of fire. I think of Hebrews 14, 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. He sees all things. I think about it as well. Those are the same eyes that wept when he was on earth and had compassion for those that didn't know him. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. And as we think about the feet of the Lord, again, we go back to Revelation 3.15. We referred to it already where that prophecy was given that the serpent would bruise his foot, but his foot would crush the serpent's head. Remember, his feet were pierced upon the cross for our iniquities. And then so many verses about this. One, Isaiah 63.3, where it says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And it speaks of how when the Lord comes back, on the second day of the second coming. And again, Lord willing, we'll get into great detail of it in the book of Revelation. His feet is going to trample the rebellion. Even this rebellion in the world today moving in this mass deception. Let me tell you, if these men and women don't repent, they are going to stand in great judgment against God Almighty. His voice is a sound of many waters. Have you ever heard a sound of many waters? The roaring of a river? Uh, you ever been up to Seattle and heard the Puget Sound? Is that what's called the Puget Sound? The, the it's just, it, it's amazing the roar of that or the roar of the waves, especially when a storm's coming in. His voice is the sound of many waters. It signifies his power. Listen, at the word of God, everything changes. Do you know that? This is why we're, we're foolish not to bring all our cares and concerns before him, to give him praise, to ask him to make intercession a move. So many times we run around, oh, we've got to fix this, we've got to fix that. Let's cry out to God because at His Word, His mighty Word, everything changes. And then in His right hand were seven stars. And again, from Revelation 1.20, we see the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Some interpret this as well as, as the pastors of these seven churches because the word means messengers. Interesting. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Does anyone know what that sharp two-edged sword is? We should all, we're looking at it tonight. Absolutely, the word of God. And Hebrews 4.12 speaks of this, that the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged swords. And it talks about just pierces and it reveals and so forth. And we're going to all give an account to it. And then in Revelation 19, again, when he comes back at the end of this age, it says out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword that he should strike the nations and then it says his countenance was like the shining sun in its strength 
listen, don't ever look directly at the sun. You'll, you'll go blind. And it says, again, it, it says it wasn't, but the best thing John could describe it, it's like the shining sun in his strength. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that he dwells in unapproachable light. And this is why, listen, to, 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 to be in the presence of God for eternity We have to have all our sins washed and be perfected because any little flaw is going to instantly be exposed. You ever take a black light into a room? I mean, you you see everything. Can you imagine, again, trying to enter into this unapproachable light? But praise God, we have access to the shed blood of the Lamb. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god first corinthians 15 50 50 50 and you see great men of god when they come into the presence of god they're face planted but i love it but he laid his right hand on me let me ask you tonight do you feel discouraged do you feel weary do you feel weak maybe you say i feel dead physically inside or in my mind ask jesus christ to touch you ask him to lay his hand on you Cry out for strength. Wait upon the Lord and he will raise you up and he will give you strength. He will. I I can give you testimony day after day and time after time where I feel weary and I feel weak. And sometimes I'm fighting. I'm like, do I need an energy drink? Whatever. Sometimes, listen, I'll I'll, I'll do an energy. I I did a little half energy drink before tonight. But listen, (laughs) so many times where I feel weary and I cry out. I'll tell you, God comes and he strengthens me. He comes and he undergirds me. He refreshes my soul. He builds me up. He picks me up. Sometimes, Lord, I don't know where this fatigue's coming from, where this discouragement, but oh, Lord, I'm crying out wherever it's coming from, rebuke, and I'll tell you, he does it time and time again. Cry out to your God. Say, Lord, lay your right hand on me. That's a prayer we can ask in Jesus' name. And then what's he say to him? I love it. And all the fear-mongering going on in the world, do not be afraid. Why? I'm your God, and I'm the first, and I'm the last. God's going to have the last word in all of this going on. I'll tell you, anyone hearing my voice tonight, whether they're here, out there, online, and if you're mocking God and people do it over and over again, my God's going to have the last word, and you better be covered by the blood of Jesus. I love Romans 8.31. If God's for us, who could be against us? And then he says here, again, he's the first, the last. He lives, was dead. Behold, I am forevermore. Next there in Romans 8.34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, who is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. So don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm the first and the last. Don't be afraid. Why? I live, was dead. Behold, I'm forevermore. He's conquered sin, death, hell, and Satan. And he makes intercession for us. And then he says, also don't be afraid. Because guess what? I have the keys to Hades and death. Psalm 68, 20. Our God is the God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belongs escape from death in the Lord Jesus Christ 19 
This is a key verse to the entire book. He tells them again. He's already said, write this all in a book. We got this book before us tonight. Just so you know, there's over 25,000 ancient copies of the New Testament. And they're all sync in what we have before us tonight. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after this. It's a key to understanding the book. The things which are. Again, Revelation 1-2. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. Paul's written the things that he saw. The testimony of Jesus Christ. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referred to that already here in the first chapter. He's written the things that he saw. Again, the testimony of the work of the cross. And then he says after that, write, write the things that are. Well, notice Revelation 1.11. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches which are. Which are in Asia. Which are means they are there right now. He doesn't say which will be or which were, but which are. So the things which you saw was the testimony of Christ. The things which are is the ministry of the church here on earth. And then he says, then write the things that will take place after this. After what? After the things that are. You've got to be a rocket scientist to look at this. It's real simple. We read about the letters to the churches. And then in Revelation 4.1, after these things. I looked and saw, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and I heard the voice, and I heard the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then there's a description of 24 elders, and the description of them match words given to the seven churches and the letters written to them. I know there's a lot of attack on the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, but I'll tell you, I'm familiar with all of the different thoughts and ideas about pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, which is very, very modern, and then post-trib. And I understand how biblical arguments can make, be made for, for each of them, but I'm going to tell you, pre-tribulation rapture blows the others out of the water especially when you understand the role of Israel in the tribulation, which most mid-trib, pre-wrath people have no idea of. They have no idea. Recently, someone showed me a video, sent me a video. I know they were very well intended of it. It it spoke of a a guy talking about pre-trib rapture. I looked him up, and he teaches the tribulation saints become Israel in the tribulation. Dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant, and it's sad that YouTube's given you a platform to peddle your ignorance. Now, I know Jesus is coming back whenever he wants. And listen, what I put forth ain't going to change when he's coming back. But I'm telling you, you look at this outline right here, and it's really clear, right? The things you see, the things that are, that are their church age, and then the things after this. And we don't read about the church until again Revelation 19 when we see us coming back with the Lord on white horses.
there's just a real attack on that truth or on that, that, that doctrine. Again, I lean pre-trib. It's going to work out the way that it works out. But I think I have the spirit too. And listen, I don't want to come off as, as boastful or anything, but I've taught through the entirety of the Bible, verse by verse, a couple times. It's a lot of verses. You could probably stack my notes to the, to the ceiling in my office. I, I don't have any, you know what, uh, uh, motivation other than wanting to teach God's word. I don't, I don't lean that way because, oh boy, boy, we can't go through that tribulation. Boy, we got to get out of that because that's what it's always about. Oh, they're the weak Christians that, you know, they, they're not tough like us. They don't want to go through the tribulation. Have you read the book of Revelation? But here's this, listen, if I go through that, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. That promise isn't snatched away for the tribulation. And that's where you start finding a contradiction even in he over, you know, about the Antichrist. He, you know what, he, he uh, where it talks about him suppressing the saints. And again, you go back to Daniel, who are the saints? is Israel. So please, if you're going to talk about that, please look at the totality of Scripture. It's laid out. At the minimum, please, every day, be looking for the coming of the Lord. Because if you're not doing that, you are not walking in a biblical manner because Jesus said to be watching every single day. Every single day. That's on my fifth rant. Verse 20. And listen, it's, it shouldn't be a matter that we, that, that we seek to divide over. And it's sad to me when people do. But again, I say this because, again, you lay this all. There was a time when I was a mid-trib. I, I leaned mid-trib. And therefore, I leaned pre-wrath. And then you know what I did? I became a pastor and started teaching the Bible. Verse by verse. And I started learning about Israel. And then I had the opportunity to go to Israel four times. And my mind's blown away by all the prophecy that's been fulfilled and so forth. I better digress. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. We've already alluded to this. Again, it, it's, it's, it's a symbolism of, of the church. But it's interesting, again, the angels of the seven churches. It's, it's really messengers, which some take as, as, as perhaps the pastors. But it's probably more so, I would think, the angels. And it goes back to what we saw so much in Daniel and in Ephesians, it talks about powers and principalities and an organized, you know, satanic spiritual movement. But remember in Daniel, in Daniel 12, 1, it talks about Michael, the great prince of Israel, standing up for her in the last days. And you, look, you can't just flush this away. Well, you know, that Israel, they're not around. We saw all this in detail. And I'll tell you, it's comforting because we read about God giving his angels charge over us. But this seems to indicate that God has angels specifically assigned to churches 
and to regions and towns as well. Because in the midst of a war, you better believe that God sides the winning side. And so oftentimes we get focused, oh, that old devil, you know, and all the devil, the demons and so forth. Oh, how you did all the enemies all over me, you know. But wait a minute, listen, God's on the throne, son. And I'm not going to praise angels or get all weird, you know, in the study of them or whatever. But God's, listen, our God's gritty. <laughs> and he's on the throne. And we saw even what happened when Daniel got his face on his face and he prayed and how those angels overthrow the prince of Persia and so forth, the prince of Greece and the scriptures. And so let's do our part in this and be found of people on our face, of people of prayer and so forth that engage in this stuff and understand, listen, again, God is going before us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory, Lord. We thank you for your word, God. Lord, I know that Lord, a lot of words have come out of my mouth tonight, God. I pray, Lord, that I hope and pray, God, you've been glorified in them. And God, as I pray oftentimes, I think of Proverbs where it says, where there's many words, sin is not lacking, God. So please, again, have your hand on me, God. And we thank you for the scriptures, your great goodness. Lord, I know your word, God, never comes back empty or void. So do a work in what we looked at tonight, God, in our hearts. Lord, I know we're kind of scratching the surface of these things. I pray, God, we'll dig in deeper. And, God, we would be a people, God, that are obedient to your call to be watching and looking for the coming of Christ for his church. God, give us a zeal for you. Bless your people here tonight, God. And, Lord, I thank you for the call to salvation. And if you haven't called on the name of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Humble your heart and call upon Christ to be your Savior, turn from your sins and put your faith in Him and He'll meet you where you're at. Bless the rest of our evening, Lord. We thank you and praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. God bless you.